Ruth chapter 3 in our studies in Ruth, uh, and uh, we'll read together. Ruth chapter 3 and verse 1. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young woman you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, All that you say I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter, for you have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do For you, all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen, know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay down at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, Bring the garment that you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Amen. I mean, God always blesses the reading of his own inspired word. You'll remember from our study so far in the book of Ruth that Naomi had returned from the land of Moab accompanied by her daughter-in-law, reduced to poverty through the trials that she experienced since leaving the promised land. She says at the end of chapter 1, when she returned to Bethlehem, I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. In chapter 2, we notice something of God's providential care of these two vulnerable uh, women. You remember Ruth went to glean in Boaz's field and uh, he took pity on her and was very kind to her. Now chapter 2, you will remember, ends with Ruth's report back to Naomi of Boaz's kind provision and the providence of God is further revealed when Naomi tells Ruth that this man Uh, Boaz is actually the family redeemer. Look at verse 20 
may he be blessed by the Lord of chapter 2. May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, this man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. The NIV says uh, a kinsman redeemer. The authorized version says our next kinsman, which loses, I think, something of the significance of that statement. Uh, The Hebrew word is goel, and it's a technical word which meant to uh, protect, meant to buy back, and uh, it Uh, If a family had sold its land, this individual could redeem the land back for the family. God was concerned that the land, as he assigned it when the people of God entered the promised land, wouldn't uh, be accumulated into the hands of a few entrepreneurs, but that every 50 years in the year of Jubilee, all the land would return to the uh, original holders. Uh, So the land that had been sold or mortgaged would then be returned uh, to uh, the uh, original owners. Now, if during those 50 years, a near relative, close relative, was in a strong financial position, he could redeem the land on behalf of his family and return it to the original holder. He was the kinsman redeemer, the goel, the one who could purchase the assets back for the family. Now, Naomi tells Ruth that Boaz is one of the kinsman redeemers, that he could protect and purchase back the family assets that Elimelech had sold when he migrated to Moab in the first place. Now, that concept of the kinsman redeemer is key to our understanding of the book of Ruth. It's the reason why we find Naomi uh, in verses 1 to 4 of chapter 3 hatching a plan to get her daughter-in-law married. Ruth isn't simply making a, a proposal of marriage. She is asking Boaz to fulfill his obligations as a kinsman redeemer. Verse 9 I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. It's a pity that the authorized version doesn't actually translate that as as redeemer, but simply as kinsman. Now, that whole concept is very rich and lovely uh, and profitable for study, but we're going to leave it until uh, our next study in the book of Ruth. And what I want to do this morning is just concentrate on the the bare bones of the the narrative. And the first thing I want you to notice is Ruth's preparation to meet Boaz. In chapter 2 and verse 23, the very last verse, we are told that Ruth continued to glean in Boaz's field until the harvest, uh, the barley and wheat harvests were finished. And that's probably a period of seven or eight weeks. Now remember, Ruth and Naomi were still poor. Through the kindness and provision of Boaz, their short-term future had been provided for, but their long-term future was still precarious as two widows living in a primitive culture. So Naomi hatches a plan to secure the long-term future. In these days, we might be a bit shocked about that, but in these days, parents were more proactive in 
uh, looking for uh, a partner for uh, their children. I wonder how that would go down today. But that's, that was the case. You remember uh, in Judges chapter 14 when we're told that Samson saw a, a woman in Timnah and he went to his parents and he said, I've seen the Philistine woman in Timnah, uh, get her for me. It was the parents who had to secure the hand of the individual for marriage. So it wasn't unusual for parents to be involved in this whole process of marriage. We mustn't be surprised or shocked uh, at uh, Naomi uh, trying to orchestrate the marriage, a marriage for Ruth. So Naomi encourages Ruth to prepare herself to go down to the threshing floor and to position herself at Boaz's feet. She is to hide and wait until he had finished his meal and then take special notice of the place where he lay. She didn't want in the darkness to turn up at the feet of the wrong man. And so all this plan is hatched. Notice what Naomi says to Ruth in verse 3. Wash therefore and anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. What she says is take a bath, put on some perfume, put on some makeup, because oil was uh, to give that radiant kind of sheen, and put on your best frock. The translators of the NIV have taken a little liberty in translating it best clothes, because the text doesn't actually say that. And it may be that she was taking off her widow's clothes and putting on normal clothes, which was more suitable for a proposal of marriage. So here is Ruth, bathed, perfumed, well-dressed, uh, going out to make this marriage proposal. Both Naomi and Ruth, it was uh, are the right thing to do to groom yourself before going on a date. Now, you may remember First Samuel 16, 6 and 7, when Samuel went to anoint a new king from the family of Jesse, that Eliab, Eliab came out first, and uh, Samuel says, surely this is the person, and God says, no, I have rejected him, for uh, man looks at the outward appearance, and God looks at the heart. Now, we rightly stress the second part of that verse, that the Lord looks at the heart. In God's sight, the condition of our hearts is the most important issue. And how you look on the outside doesn't compare to what you're like on the inside. God is not so concerned about our clothes, our grooming, our smell. He's concerned about our heart. Now, that's all true. But sometimes we neglect the first part of the verse. Man looks at the outward appearance. Man does look at the outward appearance. And Naomi realized that if Ruth was going to be successful in her proposal of marriage, she had to look her best, and she had to look attractive to Boaz. Now, was Boaz some carnal, worldly, sexually driven fiend that was only interested in external appearance? Not at all. He was a godly man, a godliness that was manifested at a time of uh, national apostasy, the time of judges, when people's hearts were being turned from God. Uh, notice when he awakes in the middle of the night, uh, when he uh, asks, uh, who are you? In verse 9, she, uh, she responds, I am Ruth. And he says in verse 10, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. 
when woken out of his sleep by cold toes, seeing this beautiful young woman at his feet, uh, the third word in the Hebrew from his mouth is the name of his God, Yahweh. He was a, a godly man. And yet as a godly man, he was impressed by outward appearance. Matthew Henry has a lovely comment about Samson when he went to his parents and said, I've seen a a woman in Timnah, a Philistine woman, go and get her for me. He says, he who is governed only by his eye in the choice of a wife has only himself to blame if later he finds a Philistine in his arms. But setting that aside, there is an appropriate appearance uh, for for meeting somebody of the opposite sex. Ruth needed to look and smell her best for such an occasion, and the success of her mission might just depend upon such externals. If you have any doubt about this, just read the Song of Solomon. It's full of this. It concentrates on outer beauty. Do you remember the description of the virtuous woman in Proverbs 31? We are told that she was careful about her personal appearance. She was clothed in linen and purple. Now, if you look at uh, verse 11 of chapter 3, verse 11 of chapter 3, Boaz says to her, you are a worthy woman, a virtuous woman. Now, that Hebrew word is only used three times in all of the Old Testament of a woman and twice in Proverbs 31 and once here. That, that a virtuous woman, a godly woman, a, a woman who is to be the model of godliness for all uh, women of all time is concerned about outward appearance. Now, it's wrong, of course, to make a god out of this. Women are to dress modestly, with decency and propriety, as Paul says. But as Charles Bridges, the Puritan, said, as far as outward dress is concerned, it's possible to pay too little attention as well as too much. So outward appearance is not the enemy of spirituality, and it's not wrong to make yourself as attractive as you can possibly make yourself for your partner. Within the constraints of modesty, you don't want other people lusting after you. And within the constraints of stewardship, you don't want to be so lavishly dressed that it's inappropriate for someone who has no abiding city here. And within the constraints of the raw material that you have to work with, it's not wrong to try and make yourself appealing to the opposite sex. Grooming is important. Clothes are important. Appearance is important. Single people, you, you want to make yourself uh, attractive for the opposite sex. That's not wrong and that's not unspiritual. It's natural. It's biblical. It's spiritual. And you husbands who complain about your wives buying too many shoes or uh, buying too many dresses uh, or or new clothes, you've got to understand that that's within the constraints of stewardship, that that's perfectly right, perfectly proper, perfectly normal, 
and perfectly biblical. Ruth's preparation to meet Boaz. Secondly, Ruth's proposal to Boaz. Now, many commentators have expressed surprise at the way Naomi advised Ruth to approach Boaz. At best, it seems unwise. At worst, it seems reckless. Uh, A single woman going late at night, uh, staying the night at the feet of a man she loved. Verse 14 highlights the irregularity of the unfolding events. Look at verse 14. So she lay at his feet until morning, but rose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. This was unusual. And we've got to ask ourselves, why did Naomi encourage Ruth to put herself in a potentially vulnerable and dangerous position? Well, Ruth was between a rock and a hard place. Uh, Ruth couldn't approach Boaz publicly in a field because she didn't want, if he rejected her, to expose him to public disgrace. And she couldn't go to him privately but there could have, because there could have been a, an accusation of immorality. That was inappropriate. So she compromised. And she approached him privately but in a public place. I think that was a good solution. She approached him privately in a public place. The other workers were there. They were asleep uh, at the threshing floor and she approached him in a private way. Now, in, according to the law in Deuteronomy 25, the Lord had given women in this situation the initiative to go and approach uh, a man with a proposal of marriage. Now, let's be clear what Naomi planned and what Ruth asked for. Look at verse 1. And my daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Now, that's the very same words that Naomi used to Ruth and Orpah in chapter 1, that when she urged them to go back to Moab to find rest in the house of another husband. Naomi wanted Ruth to marry Boaz. That's what she was planning. Notice verse 9, when Boaz woke up to discover Ruth was lying at his feet. Who are you? And he asked, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Now that word, spread your wings, can be taken as the corner of your garment. And and that corner of the the, the garment was a euphemism for marriage in the ancient world. In in Hebrew, it appears in Ezekiel 16 and verse 8. I think the translation... Uh, spread your wings over me is probably a better translation. Again, an expression that was talking about marriage. So in a subtle, delicate way, she is asking Boaz to marry her as her kinsman redeemer. She's not seductively saying, let me climb in there beside you. She is saying, marry me, Boaz. And obviously Boaz understood it in that way. Now, a show of hands, how many wives here actually ask their husbands to marry them? No, no, I'm only joking. Uh, women have a way of doing that more delicately and subtly, don't they? You know, they, they just maneuver him into that position where he asks the question. Well, according to the Bible, that's not wrong. It's not 
wrong to use a little sanctified initiative uh, when looking for uh, a husband, or for that matter, looking for a wife. Um, we have so spiritualized this that sometimes uh, we give the impression that God's man is just going to drop, drop out of heaven at the feet uh, of the woman. So that's Ruth's proposal for marriage. Now, the Hebrew language, unlike Greek, is a very picturesque language. Um, Hebrew paints pictures with words. And I just want you to notice the, the lovely description that we have of, of marriage in, in verse 1 and in verse 9. So in, in verse 1, marriage is described as, in the original, it's not in all our translations, but in the original it's, it's described as finding rest. Finding rest. Verse 9. Finding rest under the wings or under the cloak of your husband. Isn't that a lovely expression of marriage? You remember when Naomi and Ruth first came back and uh, Ruth was introduced to Boaz. Boaz says to her in chapter 1, you have found rest under the wings of Yahweh. And here now it's speaking about finding rest under the wings of your husband. That's, that's a wonderful definition of marriages, of marriage. These marriages where the wives are intimidated, frightened, persecuted, downtrodden in the name of Christianity by their husbands is as far as the biblical description of marriage as heaven is from hell. A wife is to feel secure and loved, protected and nurtured by her husband. She is to find rest in the arms of her husband. And that's such a challenge to husbands. Do you, do you provide that kind of security for your, your wife? Does she feel safe? and secure, and protected, and at rest in your presence. Ruth's preparation to meet Boaz, Ruth's proposal to Boaz. Uh, thirdly, Ruth's purity with Boaz. I've tried to indicate something of the predicament that Ruth and Naomi find themselves in, and why uh, Naomi instructed Ruth to act in this way. But even so, we may conclude that Ruth by her actions, was putting herself in a very vulnerable position and indeed in a place of temptation. Imagine your teenage daughter coming home one night and saying, there's a, there's a group in the church or a group from school, and we've all decided to camp out at White Rocks in Port Rush for the evening in her sleeping bags. And you know that there's a, a boy that she's particularly fond of and that he will be there too. What would your response be? over my dead body. And you would be right. But, and we need to understand that Ruth and her mother-in-law were taking a mammoth risk. But it was a calculated risk. Because they knew that Boaz, in spite of the, the prevailing culture of the times that Boaz was a godly man and cultivated, as we saw in a previous study, a, go a godly workplace. However, in saying all that, the Hebrew text is very careful to make it clear that no sexual impropriety took place. 
We're told in verse 7 that Ruth lay down at his feet, not at his side. Verse 14, so she lay down at his feet until morning. Now the writer here uses a very specific Hebrew word. There is another word for lie or for lay which includes sexual relations. Genesis 4 and verse 1, Adam lay with his wife Eve and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. In verse 13, Boaz says, stay here, lie here for the night. Now, that, that's a different word, and it's a, it's a word that's free from any uh, sexual connotation. Uh, the authorized version translates it as tarry. It can't be used in a sexual way. Now, here are two young people, a man and a woman, very much attracted to each other, And yet the Word of God makes it clear, in spite of this golden opportunity to engage in inappropriate behavior, they resisted that temptation and they kept themselves pure. Look at uh, chapter 4 and verse 13. Chapter 4 and verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and he went into her after she became his wife and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. That sexual relations only took place after marriage. Now, Boaz may have reasoned, well, who would know? Who would know? This is a foreign woman, a Gentile. Who would care? But Boaz's godliness prevented him from taking advantage of the situation. As I said before, the third word from his lips was the name of his God, Yahweh, when he was woken in the middle of the night. Now, do I I need to emphasize this point of sexual purity before marriage? We live in a sexualized society where sex and the marriage bond, as the wedding ceremony says, are no longer held in honor. Sex before marriage and sex outside marriage are presented to us in such a way that it's acceptable, normal behavior. But it's not acceptable to God. Sex is God's wedding gift for a husband and wife, and it is only to be exercised within the marriage bond. And I know young people are under uh, tremendous pressure to experiment, to throw caution to the wind, to hold nothing back, even if that relationship is an unstable one. Virginity used to be a virtue. Now it seems it's something to be ashamed of. But the best gift, the best present that you can give to your husband on his wedding night is your purity. And and we, we need to fight the prevailing culture of our day and submit ourselves to the biblical standards of God's Word. We need to be faithful to his word before marriage and faithful to his word after marriage. So Ruth's preparation to meet Boaz, Ruth's proposal to Boaz, Ruth's purity with Boaz, and Ruth's patient for, patience for Boaz. If you look at verse 18 of chapter 3, when she returns home to Naomi, Naomi said, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. She is told to wait. And the, the, the great theme of this chapter is, is waiting, 
waiting. She comes back from Moab. She has to wait. She didn't take a husband uh, with Orpah and go back to Moab. She, she waited. She arrives in the field. She waits. She, she goes down to the threshing floor. She has to wait until he's asleep. She lies at his feet. She pulls back the coverings of, uh, the, the covering uh, off his feet. Why do you think she pulled back that covering? Why do you think she pulled that back? Well, I think it was to make his feet cold so that he would wake up in the middle of the night and realize that she was there. I think there's, there's nothing more sinister or, or uh, significant than that, that she wanted to wake him up. And, and we're told literally that he didn't wake to the middle of the night. It must have been a warm night. The, the cold feet didn't wake him up. I wonder, was she, was she tempted to reach out and tickle his toes? There's, there's evidence in the text that she did something because she, we're told that he trembled or he uh, was startled. Um, so she maybe tickled his tootsies and then he woke up. And then they discover that there is another kinsman redeemer who's in a closer relationship uh, to Naomi uh, than Boaz is. And she has to wait, 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 wait. When uh, she comes home, uh, Naomi asks her in verse 16, Who are you, my daughter? Literally, who are you? Not how did it go with you, but who are you? Are you Ruth or the Moabite? Are you Mrs. Boaz or Mrs. Boaz-to-be? Wait, wait, wait. You've got to wait. And sometimes waiting can be difficult. Uh, sometimes it's it's hard to to wait upon the Lord and to wait on God's time. It sometimes feels that that time never comes. Would Boaz marry her or not? Would she be redeemed by this complete stranger that she she knew nothing about? But you see, in the Bible, waiting time is not wasted time. Sometimes God calls us. To, to wait for a partner, to wait for a husband, or to wait for a wife. And, and that can be hard to wait. And sometimes we get a little bit impetuous and we rush ahead. You remember Abraham was promised a son and uh, 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 Isaac, and, and they had to wait for that son to arrive. And, and uh, Sarah can't wait, and she uh, employs... Uh, Hagar to be a kind of surrogate mother and the, this world is still troubled with the fruit of that disobedience. We've got to learn to wait uh, upon the Lord and wait for the Lord and wait uh, on his time. Maybe you need to reach out and tickle a few toes. Maybe you need to take the initiative. Maybe you need to be a bit more proactive, but you've you've got to wait on God's time. Isaiah eight and verse seventeen: I will wait for the Lord who is hiding His face from the house of Jacob. I will put my trust in Him. Just turn over to Psalm twenty-seven. These are are very precious um, verses. Uh, Psalm 27, and the end of the verse, in verses 13 and 14, 
Psalm 27, verse 13. Notice, notice David's confidence here. He says, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. He is conscious that he will see God's goodness revealed and unfolded. But then he says in verse 14, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. That sometimes, particularly when it comes to relationships, we need to be strong and we need to wait for the Lord and wait uh, on his time. And young people who are are uh, unmarried and perhaps at that stage that you're looking for a boyfriend or a girlfriend, uh, a husband or a wife, I just encourage you to be patient. Tickle the toes, yes, but just be patient and wait uh, for his time. Ruth's preparation to meet Boaz, Ruth's proposal to Boaz, Ruth's purity with Boaz, and Ruth's patience for Boaz. Amen.